Well, good morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. You can tell a little different this morning. You should have a couple things with you. You should have a half a sheet of paper. You should have an index card. And you should have picked up one of these. These are going to be your sermon notes for the next three weeks. If not, they're, out, they're back there on the table. You need an ink pen this morning. And they're also back there on that back table. And if you need them, please get up and get you a pen. And, uh, and one of these, you're going to need this for the next three weeks. And, uh, and so I just wanted to make another announcement, too, where everybody gets their pens. It was it's a sad day. I had to lay to rest uh, a very serious issue this morning. My favorite blue shirt ripped. It's my shirt I love to preach in. And, and so I'm, I'm having trouble concentrating this morning. I'm perspiring a little more than I normally do, which is saying a lot. So you pray for me that I can stay concentrated without my favorite blue shirt anymore in the closet. So, uh, no, we, uh, what we are doing today in, in our study in Romans is we're doing as, spiritually speaking, parking the car on Romans 1, 16 and 17. Uh, our series overall title is Gospel Confidence. We want to be these that Micah talked to us about, the unashamed Christian. And so in order to do that, I, I have chosen an evangelistic message of how we share the gospel that, that I feel would matches the culture in which we live, which we must assume when we engage people with the gospel that, uh, that, it is a, that they have no point of contact for, for God whatsoever. And, and so this is an opportunity, I think, for us to, to spend the next three weeks here behind the pulpit, so to speak, and the next six weeks in our small groups thinking about this. How do we share the gospel? But in the spirit of our worship today and, and what we've been singing about already, turn with me to Hebrews the Hebrews, I, I want us to just orient ourselves towards the center, why this is such wonderfully good news, and why we should be unashamed. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray for our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity um, to be able to talk about how to share your good news with other people. And so Lord, I pray that you would do your work in us, the, the gospel sanctifying the redeemed, and saving the lost. I pray that you would help 
many of us realize. Why in the world are we still living with the spirit of fear? And you died to make us courageous and bold. And so, Lord, make us people of faith, people with your word on our tongues and in our minds, that we may love people well in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's letter that we have been studying up to this point has taught us many things, uh, but we've been focused on the fact that it's oriented us toward our union in Jesus Christ and all that that brings. And one of those things that it brings is mission, a longing and a drivenness for it. And in Jesus' last words were words of mission. Matthew 28, 18, we know it well. We've read it a thousand times if you've been in church any length of time at all. But let me read it again. These were the last words of our Lord and Savior before he ascended, as Hebrews said, to, to take his place at the right hand of the majesty on high. He said to us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, the sad reality in most of us, if we're honest, is we seem to be seemingly ashamed of the gospel. And for many can't remember the last time we actually shared the gospel with somebody. So Micah reminded us that we should take our place beside Paul that says, I am not ashamed. We must regain our gospel confidence we must embrace a God-entrusted mission. He's entrusted us with it. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we burying it in the ground? Or are we putting it to work? The place of mission. Yes, sometimes is to go to places across the seas. And God wills, we, we absolutely are going to go. But most of the time, it's just everyday life. Where we live, where we work, even where we play. It's just these everyday conversations. And for some reason, in some times past, you can even see it in our own Baptist history, to where we seem to started just, let's hire more pastoral staff, and let's just leave it to the professionals. There are no professionals. They're simply ordinary people that's been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.13 says, says this, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, how would you like to be described this way? That they were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So those men that by the, by the hostile profession said that these men were turning the world upside down. They said, the crazy thing about it is, these guys weren't professionally educated. I mean, they didn't go to our colleges. They didn't go to our seminaries. They don't have anything hanging on the wall. These guys are unpolished. They're just simply ordinary. Jesus put these guys to work, sharp edges and all. To take the mission. 
Interesting. This is a little book that's out there on the table that'll help you go a little deeper with how to have conversations, but I thought it was interesting. It said on page 51 of this book, the average person has 27 conversations a day. As brother, I was thinking of brother Mike. He sells for a living. He has, he has 27 before 8 o'clock. But the average person has 27 conversations a day. A recent study revealed that both men and women, women utter an average of about 16,000 words each day. That got me tired just when I read it. So I need to go home and take a nap. 16,000 words, 27 conversations, average to chirk on a half. In, in any given day. Acts 1.8 says that we are supposed to be his martyrs, his witnesses, wherever he takes us. In our Jerusalem, whether it's Kings Mountain, whether it's Bethlehem City, whether it's Honduras, whether it's Mexico, whether it's the Sudan, it doesn't matter. We are called to be a witness. God placed us wherever we are, even when we may not particularly like it some days, to be his outpost. If you've ever watched uh, uh, war movies, I I like those kinds of things, especially them old ones. Or westerns, you see these forts and these are these people who have this military who has an outpost out at the fringes of an empire or the territory. They do that. They put their people in these outposts so that somebody doesn't do a surprise attack on them and they don't know. And so what God has done in this world is he has spread us out everywhere in his world. Not everybody lives in King's Mountain. You can travel across the ocean and see his people right there. We are here for a reason. It is interesting, you can look this up under NAM, North American Mission Board, Pockets of Lostness, if you want to look at this. There are five pockets of lostness in, in Cleveland County, two of them in Kings Mountain, and one of them is right here where our church sits. What that means is that lostness is growing in our area faster than Christianity is. It means you can't assume the people you work with, the waitress that comes to your table, or the person you call on for your business has the least idea who Jesus is, nor cares. So how do we share the gospel with them? That's our, that's our quest for the next few weeks. How do we share the gospel with them? And so you should have an ink pen and a half a sheet of paper. All we're going to deal with today is the first circle of three circles as we share the gospel with people. So inside that first circle, you can put it anywhere between, if, you're, if you want to look at your paper, 10 to 12 o'clock at the top of the page, draw a circle and, and draw writing God's design. God's design. You should see it also on the back screen. This is where we're going to be today. And so once you draw that, if you want to flip your page over, I'm going to give you three simple talking points for you to think about and use when you share the gospel with somebody in this first circle. It is okay 
When you share the gospel, the person you're sharing the gospel with has what we call presuppositions just like you do. They believe something, whether they know it or not, and they've been handed a belief system. They've been handed, so to speak, a worldview, a pair of glasses that they see reality, and they live life in that reality, and so have we. All we are doing under the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting the power of the gospel, is to give them ours. Okay? You don't have to know theirs perfectly. You need to know yours. You need to be willing to give it to it with respect. We see this from beginning. From the beginning, our first circle comes to bear that there is a designer. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set in everybody's heart eternity, yet they don't know how to get there. God has a design for every single person that he has ever created. So the first point is a very simple point that we have heard, but it's important because we don't assume that someone else has heard it. God created us and he loves us. We can see that in his design. God designed a world. He designed everything in it, every aspect of it. Genesis 1, in the beginning of our story. And we know this, don't we? When we look at verses 10 in Genesis 1 and 12 and 17, 18, verse 25, every time he created something, what did God call it? Good. And then when we look down in verse 26, and God made man, and what did he call us? Very good. So that's God's design. That's our starting point for the gospel. There is a design. There, and if there is a design, there's a designer. God designed everything. God creates us. And he loves us. Both Adam and Eve, the, these first people that God created, lived in a perfect world, in relationship to God, in perfect, perfect relationship to God, and in perfect relationship with each other, they did not want nor need anything. And we can tell right there at that moment when we share the gospel that everybody's going to agree that's not the world we live in now. So what happened? Everybody asks that question. Everybody does. No matter what you believe, what happened to this? What's wrong with this place? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with this world? We start with this. God created us, and he loves us. Number two, God has a design for every single aspect of life. Because God created everything, and he is the designer of all things, and he loves his, his pinnacle of creation people chiefly, God has a design for every aspect of our lives. That means that God has a design for our gender identity. This is where we start. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. God created a good and perfect design His design extends to every area of life and existence for all 
people. And it was perfect. And, and so here's what I want to take sort of a sidebar here, but important to understand. And we're, we're learning this in order to present the gospel to somebody. What we're going to talk about here for the next few minutes is what I would call bridges that you are looking for. When you sit and talk to people, you're listening. Because what we're saying by God's design is God's got a design for our families. So when someone has a family issue, you are listening. And what you are saying is, praise the Lord. I have just, I see a bridge right there. Right? Whoop, your flag goes up. God's got a design for our family. God created the first family, and it was a man and a woman. And he told them to be fruitful and to be multiplying. What does it mean to be fruitful? Not a hard question. Make babies. That's what that means. Have children. Have offspring. Be multiplying. That means fill it up. Fill up your house. Fill up the earth. How far we have come from this mandate. Couldn't remember when we had all the kids in the house. The time she goes somewhere, they, you got how many kids? Tell I tell my story, you know, you got five kids. Five? She know what caused that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I've read the beginning of the book. I know exactly what causes that. God's got a design for our family. But he's also got a design for our work life. This is going to hit you right where you, you live every single day. God gave Adam and Eve collective dominion on earth. He's the head, but she's helping him. She's right beside of him to rule and reign in this garden and in this, to bring all things under subjection. The perfect life was designed to be a working life. I'm sorry, you're real lazy. God's going to fix it because the way we're going to end this thing is the way we begun this thing. And the perfect life was a working life. Work was meant to be a joy, something that Adam and Eve did together. Adam didn't have his thing and Eve had her thing. That's not part of the design. We're supposed to be together. We are better together. Amen? God designed it that way. They were stewards taking care of what God had given them. Everything by design is under our authority and creation and we are under His. We do not design of lifting things up and created up equal with man. All that does is pull man down. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. He loves us. He's got a purpose for us. He's got a design for our families. He's got a design that work should be good, that we should enjoy our labor. And, and if we do, if we enjoy our labor, we will realize God's got a design for our rest life. God made us human. God designed us with an internal clock. We are designed to work hard and rest well. It is the way we say every night, I am not God, you are, I have to go to sleep. He created night and day. He created a seventh day. God's rest, listen, this is, 
Most, most of us miss this. God's rest was not resting from weariness, but from ceasing something he had finished. In other words, listen, brothers and sisters, God created you to finish things and be proud of what you've done. He created us in his image for that. That's why you need to find something that God's given you to do, and you need to do it with all your might. God's designed us this way. God designed us, though, and this gets to the gospel, to cease our labor and rest in his finished work. That is the very essence of the gospel. It is the very essence of what we are supposed to remind ourselves today it's not simply something that we do not do, but it is a person that we are to rest in. God designed, more specifically in just our families, He designed our marriages to leave and to cleave. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. God designed our sexuality. Listen to me. God created pleasure, and he designed the means to satisfy that pleasure. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. If you don't believe it, read Song of Solomon. He designed it. He knows what it's for. And he blesses his design. And he does not bless what's not his. He designed our marriages that we should leave our parents' authority and dependency. And to cling to him and to each other. With the man leading the home. You shall leave. That means to depart. To let it go. And to not bring it with you. That's what it means. Hold fast. means to keep it close. We're supposed to stick to each other. It means that we become one. Jesus, amen this in Mark 10. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and the mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God created us. God loves us. And he's got a design for every aspect of our life. And when one aspect of our life begins to go totally wrong, we can help people and even correct ourselves by going back to God's design and saying, what did he design this for? There is a third aspect under God's design that we want to talk about. And that is God designed us for a relationship with him. So you see, this is all really talking about the same thing this morning with somebody. We're getting to the fact that what they were created for. He created us, man, as the pinnacle of his creation to have unbroken communion with him. When you read Genesis 3, 8, we see that there was walking and talking. Walking and talking. That's just another way of saying they had a relationship. It was an ongoing relationship. He came walking in the garden. Talking, where is Adam? They were hiding. Why are they hiding? That's next week. The minute they fell, there was shame and 
fear and an awareness they had broken perfection. The main thing they had broken was communion with him. You see, if you go to Genesis 3, it's the first thing you see happen. A broken relationship with God. Distant from him. Ashamed to be near him. God designed us to have one primary ultimate relationship, and that is him. No competition. The people in our life that we love the most are distant second compared to this ultimate relationship. But we know this, and they know it. The person you're talking to knows it. Something must be tragically happened, and it did. But that can be restored through the gospel. And it can't be restored through anything else. So that's it this morning. That's God's design. Okay? Still got 17 minutes on the counter. I'm not done yet. I'm just saying. That's, that's God's design. Those are your three points. Uh, so let's think about it. Now flip your paper back over. You're going to see this on the screen. So I want you to put this together. What you're going to do over the next six weeks in your growth group is practice, 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 practice. Because that's how we learn, 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 learn. And uh, so that we can go out and actually do it. We want you to have encounters with people and conversations and then be able to come back into your small groups and talk about those conversations because they, they, they inspire and push us all forward to have those conversations. So what is, our, what is this three circles? It is to understand and no matter what somebody is struggling with in life, that they, we want them to understand that God has a design for every aspect of their life, for their families, for their marriages, for their money, for their sex life, for their work life, and just plain old, everyday, boring life. He has a plan for it. God designed us ultimately to be in a relationship with Him, but we have all departed that design. And what that... Departing his design is, Bible calls it, the Bible calls it sin. Matter of fact, it says it's not just that we have sinned, that we are born with a nature. And so that sin just comes easy to us. Romans 3.23 said, no one gets God's design right all the time. We all fall short of God's perfect design. And so that means we all have the same problem. This sin leads us to the second circle, which is brokenness. Brokenness is the easiest thing for anyone that you share the gospel with to understand because they have felt it and we have felt it. And everybody can relate to it. We feel brokenness in our relationships. We feel broken because of our addictions. We feel broken because we are depressed and can't climb out of it. We are discouraged and feel hopeless. We are guilt, feel guilty. We feel shame. We all experience it and we all want to fix it. And so if you see your, our notes, you draw these little squiggly lines going out of brokenness. What that is picturing for someone you're telling the gospel with is that we've all tried to fix it with different things. 
We fuss at people and make fun of people that do drugs. But what do we go to the doctor and get prescriptions for? And why are we taking them? Are we taking things to simply numb the brokenness? Whether it's alcohol or whether it's drugs, we strive to be better people and we always fall short. We try to do better and we hope one day our good will outweigh our bad. And now we just have to ask people, how's that going? Didn't work for me. We all look for ways to alleviate that pain of that brokenness. I had a guy that hadn't seen in a while and I I texted him and he texted me back. Thank you, Pastor, for checking in, but I made this mess, and I have to fix it. And all we can do is say, man, I've tried that before. I've tried that before. You'll just make a bigger mess. It'll just keep getting broken, worse and worse and worse. I mean, we're all just Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) You can't put it back together again. Not in your strength. We feel broken. Everything's messed up. Something needs to change. They know that. We know that. What we're saying is change comes to a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. But we can't not get to that person unless we repent and believe. That is our arrow coming around to to the gospel. God sent His Son, His own Son, His only Son, to live a perfect life because we could not live it. To die in our place because we deserve to die it. To raise again to prove that everything that He claimed to be and everything that He did was true and we can trust Him. And so now we put our faith in Him and He forgives our sins and He cleanses us from our unrighteousness and He declares us to be children and He fills us with His Spirit. And because of that, we can begin the process of recovery and to pursue that which we were designed to pursue. This is the gospel. And this is not complicated. So what? I think before you can share the gospel, you must ask yourself, have you embraced the gospel? A lot of us have been raised in church from the word go. That doesn't mean anything. could mean we simply got inoculated to the gospel 40 years ago, 50 years ago. What have you done with Jesus? If you are broken today, what is keeping you from repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why would you stay in brokenness when the offer of healing is offered to you? Full and free and paid for by the only one who loved you enough to come to you to heal your brokenness. This is the gospel. There's no other good news out there. That we can give anyone, or that I can give you this morning. The question for some of us is if you look at this circle and you said, I have embraced the gospel, well, then how's the mission going? Because, see, the purpose of this circle 
takes us right back up to God's design that deploys us on mission to tell other broken people how to find healing. There's no room for pride here because we don't save anybody. Micah clearly laid that out for us biblically last week. We simply deliver the message. How's that going? And so how should we respond the next conversations we have at work or at home or at your hobbies. Three B's because I'm a pastor and i got to start with a something that sounds the same. Be, be praying. Before those conversations, during those conversations, pray for the opportunity. Pray for courage. Pray God's word. God not, has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound of mind. And I'm going to talk about my Lord. If he saves you, then you can talk about the one who saves you. If you know somebody, you can talk about them. Be praying. Be listening. Be listening. Create open-ended conversations in your everyday. There's not anybody in a post-Christian society that wants to be lectured or preached to. So have a conversation with them. Listen to them. They're going to get to their issues very quickly. And that leads to the other one. Be authentic. Guess what? You got issues too. Right? Don't we? Haven't we? <laughs> Don't we still? We're to some degree all in, still in recovery mode, ain't we? Be authentic. Don't dominate the conversation. Keep the conversation going. Look for, get to the gospel through a transition statement. You got to transition. You don't just want to say, okay, here's a napkin. Let me show you this. You, you got to have something to help them understand that you, you can't completely understand what they're going through. You, you can talk to people and they'll, they'll open up and tell you something. You're sitting there going, oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe I didn't even want to know that. But right now, here it is. What is that? Instead of shrinking back in fear from that, that is an opportunity. That's a bridge to say, you know, I, I can't completely understand what you're going through, but I have had something similar. And here's what helped me. And, and this is designed to just write it on a napkin at a coffee shop or a scratch piece of paper that you have laying around. When blank happened to me, this helped me. And just give it to them. You're not responsible. We're not the Holy Spirit. But we are responsible to give it to them. God's design is our first circle. And so let's close where Micah opened us up with. Romans 1, 16 to 17. This is my prayer for you and my prayer for myself. Our prayer for us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. So Lord, we...
Thank you for this wonderfully good news that believers can never get tired of hearing. It motivates us, it orients us, it corrects us. And so we just lay it out here this morning and ask for your spirit to do his work in our life now. Lord, I pray if there's someone listening, whether it's online or right here, that you would save, you would bring that person to repentance and faith right where they sit to realize that they can embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, repent from their sins, but their faith in Him. And God promises that He will save them. Lord, we thank you that for as believers now that we can orient ourselves towards this beautiful gospel through worship, through our, through our lifting our voices. Lord, through giving. Which, Lord, is just a representative of how grateful we are. Don't give out of some kind of begrudging obligation, Lord. Give because you're so generous to us. We get to. And so, Lord, now we want to celebrate communion with each other and with you to remember the sacrifice that you gave of your son for us. It brings the best news in all the world that we can be saved. We can be healed from the inside out. And we can be restored back to what God intended us, no matter what we've been through. Oh God, I pray that you would forgive us for rolling around in the sins of our yesterday when your son has already paid that debt. Oh God, forgive us for using those things as an excuse to not be the people you've called us to be and to do the things you've called us to do. Bring your people to repentance. Restore us to the joy of our salvation. Because that joy is what's going to motivate us to take the gospel. We love you, Father. And so now, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.